Welcome to Things You Should Know to Make Your Business Grow, our GigCMO podcast. I'm Mark Magnaka, the CEO and founder of GigCMO, and I'm very pleased to have with us our main guest today, Hajari Vinyak, who's the director of Intergest South Asia. And we also have joining us Oka Thalia, who's our fractional CMO and leading our business in India. Uh, welcome to both of you today. Hello. Good morning to you, and it's my pleasure to talk to you about doing business in India. And of course, we'll have a good discussion on the subject. Yes. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here today. Right. It's it's wonderful to have you have you both here uh, today. And uh, as you know, uh, we're a UK-based company in, in the city of London, and obviously with the change in the trading relationship. Uh, between the UK and the European Union. Uh, British companies are looking across the world to see which markets uh, they can succeed in, which markets they want to go uh, into. And of course, with the the, the deep fondness uh, British uh, people have uh, for India, and of course, India being the next big economic superpower on the horizon, you have many British firms thinking, we need to go to India but they probably don't understand the market. And most likely they really don't understand how do you succeed and how do you establish yourself in, in India? So uh, we're very pleased to have uh, Vinyak here to help us with that. So first off, could you please tell us a little bit about what Intergest does? Certainly my pleasure to talk to you about it. Dr. Heinz Antares, a German, uh, a visionary looked at outsourcing of international business management in the year 1972. The business proposition was to provide services to companies for setting up businesses in foreign countries and handle the administration of such businesses. Most of the mid-sized companies who want to set up a business in a foreign country don't know how to go about with it. And this is the business space that we operate in. So our services include setting up of a company, a branch office, a liaison office, and we get all the registrations and permissions for these companies to operate in the country that they would like to go to. After setting up the entity in a foreign country, there's a requirement that you have to comply with the rules and regulations of the country. And Intergest provides these services. So our services include accounting or bookkeeping, handling payroll, filing VAT returns, preparation of annual accounts, doing all the filings for income tax or corporate filings, which a company needs to do in a certain country. All these services are provided by Intergest with its partners who have a local presence in the country. And this partner would have the requisite knowledge. So he knows what needs to be done. He knows what are the rules and regulations. So basically, the companies are then assured that all their filings are compliant with the local rules and regulations, and there are no violations. Because you don't want to be in a foreign country and go wrong with the compliances and get pulled up for it. Uh, the other thing is our clients understand their own business. That is their knowledge. So we do not manufacture any of their products, neither do we sell. We provide them these services which take care of the compliances. So our clients, employees focus on growing and developing the business, and they can then function without having to bother about 
whether the compliances have been done or there is any problem. We also, with our reach in so many countries, search out for partners to form joint ventures or if a company would like to acquire an entity in a country, then we provide both the services of acquisitions and partner search. Wow, so Interjust is a, is a global company then? Yes, uh, 50 countries across the world where we can provide these services. And wow. uh, your, your, your founder was obviously a, a, a visionary at the time because in 72, you know, the world was completely different to how it is today. There was a, 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 a Cold War still going on, a, a wall in Europe. And, you know, again, another visionary from uh, Europe saw a business opportunity to help companies set up uh, around the world. Uh, how, how did you get involved? Because, I mean, this is a great organization and now you're in charge of Interjust uh, South Asia. Obviously, you have those entrepreneurial in instincts as well. Certainly. Well, uh, going back to how Interjust started in 1972, Interjust started with the whole objective of helping German companies go to France, just across the border. And then wow. over the years, uh, the clients would always say, we want to set up a presence in this country. Can you help us? So that is how we set up a presence in so many countries. You can say almost uh, 50 countries. And then there came a time when Intigest uh, had its clients who wanted to set up a business in India. And that is where I came in. Uh, a lot of French connections typically worked for the French investment bank, Lazard Frères, followed by Credit Lyonnais, which is now Credit Agricole Corporate and Investment Bank. And then, of course, a lot of relationships with many French organizations. So, so were you based in France at the time? Or no, you just had these uh, relationships from working in the world of financial services? I would travel there, so obviously met up with uh, a lot of people there. And as a bank, Credit Lyonnais was very well known. so. Obviously, the network uh, was there. So met up with Intergest people, and uh, when they thought that uh, they should set up a presence in India, they came to me and said, would you be willing to partner with us? And I looked at it as a very interesting opportunity because uh, very few people in this space and with this kind of a network. So it was a very, you can say, logical decision for me to set up an Interjet's presence in India. And and when did you set up in India then? Uh, we set up in 2007. And since then, we have worked with a lot of European companies for setting up their greenfield presence in India. Uh, for one of their companies, we have also helped them acquire an entity. So we have given them both, uh, you can say, a greenfield expansion or an inorganic acquisition. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Uka, obviously you're familiar with Interjust's uh, presence and success in the Indian market, uh, helping foreign firms get established. Uh, what is some of the feedback or your understanding of this? Uh, yes, I mean, just as Vinayak said, this is an extremely, uh, this is an extreme necessity for clients coming in from Europe or other Western markets. 
And there are very few credible players in India that offer a service such as this. Uh, you know, there are uh, several companies who claim to do this, uh, but unfortunately, they're not manned with the kind of experts uh, that Intergest has, uh, starting from Vinayak himself. Um, and therefore, while everything looks good on paper and everything looks good when you do a Google search, uh, what companies must realize is that it's very important for them uh, to have face-to-face -face interactions and really identify a partner whom they can trust. Uh, because Absolutely. India is a very different market. Uh, that's number one. And from what I know so far, the feedback, uh, the market feedback about Intergest has been very good. Uh, so as when I, yeah. Uh, you know, the other interesting uh, thing really is uh, when I mentioned that they do everything uh, for their clients, uh, at the same time, they leave this entire aspect of growing and developing the business to their clients. And that's interesting because a lot of marketing and sales is really about growing and developing businesses, uh, predominantly marketing. Uh, right. and, that's, and that's another area that firms wanting to enter <laughs> India uh, should think about long and hard once again, because India is such a diverse and complex market. Yeah, I, I think yeah, that's uh, that's very true. And I think just the story of Intergest, I'm kind of fascinated by, because this was before really the establishment of the single market. And it was thinking, how do I help? Your founder was thinking, how do I help German companies set up in France, right? The world's changed, you know, so much. And now all those learnings of setting up companies within Europe, you know, they've now gone abroad to you know countries like india so intergest is this strong track record of helping companies succeed in new markets and everybody certainly in the uk is interested in new markets today and india of course is at the top of the list uh, for many of course we've talked about the historical awareness of india uh, in, in the uk but when I, why is india such an attractive market today for people well, uh, first of all, uh, it's predicted that the Indian economy, which is already pretty large, will be growing to about a $5 trillion market by the year 2025. Uh, there are many factors which really contribute to making this such a large market. Indian population of 1.35 billion people, uh, out of which you can say about 225 to 250 million people would contribute to the middle and upper higher income groups. And if one looks at this, uh, one single country which will account for almost 50% of the entire European population. European yes. population would be about uh, 450 or 500 million people. So one single country giving you the size of a market is very attractive. India also has a very large workforce, uh, estimated workforce of about 480 million people and with a low cost manufacturing base. This makes it very interesting because on one side you get a lot of people. Uh, employee cost in India is significantly lower than that in Europe. So right. there is a big cost advantage that is built by having a presence in India. And when you look at it, uh, this is already established because India has a 55% market share in offshoring of global services. 
So which really goes yes. to say that pe people availability has been good. And yes, there is obviously a cost advantage in doing this. I understand there's more English gentlemen in India than there is in the UK anymore. True, true. Uh, <laughs> and of course, probably the Indian uh, uh, people speaking English in the traditional way is still uh, quite different in, as compared to other countries. So, yeah. And I'll give you certain wonderful examples, you know, with the 1.35 billion population, India has 1.2 billion telephone connections. So if you really have to look at uh, the size of the market and uh, for yes. say even a mobile phone, assuming that you replace a mobile phone almost every year, you would say close to about a billion phones would be sold. So that gives you a clear estimate as to what is the kind of market size. And of course, India has always kept its arms open. Uh, you have foreign investment up to 100% ownership permitted in almost all sectors of the economy. And, uh, but I, I, I think India is more open today than it ever has been. Because historically, it, it was very difficult for a number of reasons to penetrate the Indian market. But in the past few years, you've heard of all different firms you know, looking at India, trying to establish their operations and succeed. It doesn't mean it's easy, uh, but, you know, it's 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 more open for business today than it ever has been, I think. Certainly. And in the past one year, there have been many incentive schemes which have been given. Uh, there is an incentive scheme for uh, uh, typically large electronic manufacture, large scale electronic manufacture, so uh, companies such as uh, Foxconn, an Apple supplier, has set up a presence. Yes. Google has, uh, set, uh, is of course there, but is in, investing about 10 billion in increasing digitalization in India. And there is so there is a large amount of investment which is happening. And last year, despite of COVID, we had $57 billion of investment. And that is 13% higher than the previous year. So. COVID has not hit the investments that have come into India. Clearly. Uh, the other interesting thing is uh, typically in India, uh, almost 72% or thereabouts of what is manufactured is consumed within the country. So for people who come into India and invest, they don't have to look at pure exports as a market. With this kind of consumption, uh, obviously you do, you can look at a lot of domestic consumption in India and leave certain amount additional for exports. So it's right. a good so, market to have a presence. Yeah, because of this, uh, the strong domestic consumption. Okay. Yeah, uh, you know, what has also changed in India, like domestic consumption has gone up and the demand in India has been evolving over the last uh, five to 10 years. Uh, that's because the middle class is growing. Uh, the upper middle class and the higher class is also increasing, albeit on a low base. Uh, and because of the exposure to the world, you know, there is rising digitalization, which means that everybody is really connected uh, to what's happening in the aspirational West. Uh, so people's aspirations are changing, and that is kind of opening up uh, the market for a lot of goods and services. And there's a certain uh, propensity to try Western brands, 
which also respect the inherent Indianness that people are very proud of. Yes, yes. Uh, India is also unique like China. Uh, yeah. neither, neither country needs the rest of the world to survive, right? You're a big domestic market. I, I'm originally Canadian. Canadians grow up knowing if you don't export, you're not going to survive, right? Yeah. We've only got 35 yeah. million people, big country, but not a lot of people. So for Canadian business to survive, they, they have to export to survive. Whereas India, as you're mentioning, is a, is a big domestic market in itself. Obviously very competitive. Uh, but what are the sectors that are most attractive to foreign firms? You know, when they're looking at India, why is why is India at at the top of the list uh, for specific sectors? Uh, I would rather say India is a very big opportunity across all sectors. But then, of course, rather than generalizing it, if I put it in the sense say information technology, where I've already said India has a 55% market share in uh, outsourcing. So typically, one, when one looks at it, there's a huge investment which happens in information technology. And typically, companies such as Daimler, Symantec, and all that have set up their technology center. So it's not just uh, plain vanilla technology, uh, people are carrying out a good amount of R&D and those kind of things in India because mm -hmm. there is a cost advantage. You get really well-qualified uh, people uh, who uh, are able to deliver. So obviously there is a lower cost and there's a big advantage of do doing this in India. If one moves from uh, the information technology, uh, information technology sector, then the engineering sector, uh, again, a uh, lot of companies come to India for doing frugal engineering. And I'll give you a very... Frugal engineering. What What is yes. frugal engineering? It's like this. Uh, we, a uh, couple of years back, helped a German company to set up a presence in India. And they manufacture painting and finishing systems for the automobile industry. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the top-end cars... Uh, uh, what technology is used for painting those kind of cars is still not used in the lower end of the or the budget automobile cars in India. So when they decided that uh, they need to create a presence, they thought we should acquire a company. And uh, we helped them acquire an engineering company in India and upscaled it so that we used Indian engineers and we upscaled it rather than using German costs and then bring down the technology to uh, be used in the Indian market. So typically we did what we call as frugal engineering so we could deliver the right uh, uh, requirement at an affordable price. So a combination of reverse engineering and then some very smart Indian engineers how yes. really suit this yes yeah i think what you've done is really innovative because uh, typically people wanting to enter india try to uh, reduce features they try to depremiumize their product to suit the indian market but i think what you've done is just turned it over its head it's something that uh, companies can certainly learn from Yes, and I think just, just uh, building on what Oka said, because what that shows 
is in that case, of course, you provide this great turnkey solution for businesses to come into the market, but also your skills and expertise then give them an opportunity to think how to succeed with, with, yeah. with their business model, because that comes back to understanding what's the core proposition, what Absolutely. will succeed in this market. And that's a great insight, frugal engineering. I think there's a book yeah. there. Sure. Yes, yes. You and know, I'm course, just uh, like, sorry. Yeah. No, no, and go, on, course, go on. Uh, recently, uh, to make things even better, uh, government of India gave production-linked incentives to manufacture uh, large-scale electronic items, manufacture medical devices, pharmaceuticals, food processing industry, and all that. So companies find it attractive to make large investments and obviously cater to the Indian market. And a very interesting thing which now really comes out is if you are aware, uh, India is one of the largest manufacturer of vaccines in the world. Yes. A great and partnership with Ox Oxford, AstraZeneca, in actually the town you're from, Oka. Uh, yes, the Serum Institute is here. Yes. And yes. there's another vaccine which is 100% Indian, which okay. is being exported as well. Yeah. The world needs all the vaccines it can get. So, Vinay, what yeah, were you? Yeah. Yeah. So, very interesting thing, you know, means, uh, of course, uh, Serum Institute in Pune is a well known manufacturer, but then to get uh, the technology and to have it productivized, or you can say taken onto the market in a, such a short period of time, has been, it uh, shows the amount of uh, uh, ability that India has to deliver these kind of products. And yes. it is not only for Indian market, it, this has been probably exported to more than 50 or 60 countries across the world where these uh, vaccines have been delivered. Yes, excellent. And India does not have the baggage associated with some of the other uh, vaccines, you, you know, uh, coming out in terms of origin, you know, the American vaccines or the British vaccines or the Chinese vaccines or the Russian vaccines. And with India vaccine, what you get is a very good product. But because India has very, always been very insular, there's no other baggage associated with it, right? It's just a good product, obviously, at a very good price. Yes. Uh, what about, you know, with some, sorry, okay, would you like to add something? Yes, I, I, just a point I wanted to make. See, one thing different about India today is, I mean, this is linking back to what Vinayak said about how uh, most sectors offer an opportunity to foreign entrants. Uh, difference today is that while in the past, the foreign entrants would have just come and had a monopoly because there was no competition from Indian players. What's different today is that Indian companies across sectors are themselves very sophisticated. And therefore, any entrant will have to factor in competition. And hence, the how are you going to play and how are you going to compete? And that's yes. where a lot of focus needs to be as well. well I guess it, when those situations arrive, they can contact us, right? Yes. To help. With yes, that. they and, should. Yes. And, and we've talked a lot about. Go ahead. Yes, yeah, Mark, I was going to talk about one more sector which uh, one doesn't realize. The entire railway sector and mobility yeah. is also a huge opportunity. And I have seen the plans of the railways 
And if you look at converting these plans into dollar terms, it gives you an opportunity of almost $200 billion in the next three to five years. So this is a huge, huge uh, investment which is going to be created. And it's not only Indian companies, uh, foreign companies are also welcome to participate and create a presence. Well, that that's uh, a small little story. So uh, my surname's Italian and my great grandfather was in Italy, obviously late 1800s, and he was a railway worker and all his families were railway workers and they came to Canada uh, to work on the railway as well. So when you talk about railways across mm-hmm. India, maybe there's a family connection there I have to I, I have to look at. Uh, that's that's going to be a huge change. And, you know, railways everywhere now are coming back. In, in fact, in France, uh, I think they announced mm-hmm. uh, a few days ago, they're banning short haul flights if there's a rail alternative to help deal with climate change, obviously. So, you know, the Indian market is going to be a very, very competitive market uh, for, for uh, the railways and carriages and all the associated product services that go with it. With a lot of the UK firms, though, there's a lot of scale-ups, as you know, in in, in the UK, uh, using some sort of technology, uh, trying to grow their business quickly. So market expansion for them is is a priority. Can you work with smaller firms as well? I mean, we've talked about some very large firms, obviously very successful. They've got deep roots and a, and a strong pedigree for that. Have you worked with some smaller size firms as well? Yes, certainly. I'll I'll tell you a very interesting thing. See, the really large companies have the wherewithal to do it themselves. They have the ability and the financial resources to say, we'll dedicate a team of, say, 10, 15 people who will go and study a country, work and start doing it themselves. The mid-sized companies always look at getting value for the money. And that is where they need people like us because uh, they want to be sure that they're doing everything right. And that is where we come in and work with the mid-size and small-size companies to create a presence. Okay. And can you give some sort of indication of, and of course it's dependent on the specific project, but what is the sort of cost that somebody would need to be thinking about? Because I'm sure all our listeners are thinking, this sounds really interesting, but I probably can't afford them. Well, uh, Our uh, value proposition is to be cost effective. Uh, We certainly are lower than of obviously the big consultancy firms or the big accounting firms. We also work on a different concept in the sense since a new entity coming into India may not may require time to build up its own team and obviously may not want to have a big cost. Uh, we work on it that we work with uh, probably lesser time allocation or the appropriate time allocation. So people are not uh, idle in the sense if you have a CFO who is who comes in and joins your company, maybe he may not be fully occupied in the first few years. So rather than that, we are able to spread our cost across different companies. And so we give a very economic option. So for someone who wants to set up a company, uh, of course, it depends on where he's coming from, the kind of entity that he wants. But plain vanilla administration may just cost maybe a thousand or twelve hundred euros a month in the initial stages. 
which is significantly wow. lower than probably having your own uh, CFO to handle it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's very good. It's very similar to our model in terms of providing fractional uh, marketing and expertise on demand just for the problem. So clearly, that's great because I know we'll have a lot of people listening uh, today and thinking, oh, this is relevant for me. So uh, that that's a uh, very insightful uh, and very helpful for our audience. Again, coming back, we've talked a lot about different success stories, but what are the, some of the different entry strategies and which is most likely to succeed? Is there a, an easier route, a more difficult route? See, there are various ways of setting up a presence in India. You can start off with the simplest form, which is a liaison office, where you can, first of all, come in with a very low cost. It is uh, not a separate standalone entity. It has to be supported by the parent company. But then uh, the restrictions are your, you cannot sell within India. You cannot earn any income. So the next best option or the really the best option is to create your own subsidiary, which mm -hmm. gives you the permissions to sell in India, have your own manufacturing facility. And the biggest uh, benefit that this gives is you first come and set up your subsidiary. You start selling your products into the country. So you basically get people aware of your product, the brand, and get a certain volume which is there, which will justify setting up a manufacturing facility. So uh, when you set up your manufacturing facility, there is obviously a good amount of utilization which is there. Yes. And for other companies who want to be aggressive and really want to create a big presence in a very quick way is to go and acquire a company. So you get everything, you get your revenues, you get your uh, loyal customers, everything. So this is also another way, which is a quick and uh, you can say efficient way of setting up a presence. Okay. And, and what about, you know, fintech firms or different techs, health tech, med tech? If they're looking, they have a solid value proposition. They've got some good traction here already in the UK. Their business succeeding and they're looking at different markets. Is that a... Is there an opportunity for those type of firms in India at the moment as well? Yes, it is a very good opportunity because uh, you come in, if you have a good value proposition which has been used in other countries, all that you need to do is have your presence in India with your own entity, hire the right kind of people. Uh, there is uh, obviously no shortage of uh, availability of people. You select the right kind of people to run, I mean, to provide the services and the operations and everything is up and running. Okay. So everyone has an opportunity to create a presence in the manner which he likes to do and what budget that he would like to allocate for it. The question of localization always comes up and it's, it's interesting actually, when I think of India now after our discussion, I kind of like to think of it, it's a bit like the single market, right? the European single market, because India is very diverse as well, culturally. You know, sure. different parts of India have different customs and behaviors, but of course it's it's all in one market. So probably the part of this strategy is when you come into India, you start in one particular area where you very well defined your target market and succeed there as your base before you roll out to other parts of India. Is that most likely yes. or? 
it's certainly uh, maybe uh, the first uh, thing is to if you are looking at manufacturing a product or importing and selling you should be close to a port so basically your products come into the port and then don't have to move uh, internally or from one place to another so you're better to have a facility manufacturing or trading near a port so immediately either you come to a port like Mumbai, there are of course other ports in Chennai and Calcutta and everywhere. But then uh, depending on what kind of product that you would like to uh, sell or manufacture. And I'll tell you a very interesting thing. A lot of companies have uh, come to Pune. They like Pune because uh, obviously the proximity to Mumbai, the port is right there. Uh, Mumbai, I mean, Pune has a lot of, uh, you can say, engineers who uh, are coming out of engineering colleges in Pune. Uh, costs are uh, probably slightly lower than in Mumbai. So obviously, for someone who sets up a presence, uh, the infrastructure cost goes down. And so uh, probably 750 or a thousand German companies are present in Pune. Wow. Yes. Ulka will probably tell you yeah. more. About. No, no, I totally agree. So, you know, from the point of view of labor supply, you know, I'm calling them labor, but we are really talking about intelligent manpower and the whole logistics and infrastructure. Pune is definitely on the top, on the top 10 uh, cities that one would want to set up their businesses in. Am I right, Vinayak? I think that's what yes. you were saying. Yeah, Absolutely. and you know, coming to the yeah, coming to the demand side, which is uh, one of the questions that you really yes. had, Mark. How do you really uh, know where you should start? See, it all really depends on what category you're in. Are you B two B or are you B two C? What your pricing is ultimately going to be, you know, what price can you really afford to sell at is the fundamental question. And that depends, and that's how you find your target audience. Now, typically, if you are a consumer product and you're slightly premium, you will find your target market in the four metro cities in India. So that really becomes your starting point, and then you scale up. If you're fairly mass market, then you really need to apply your mind and really think about where you want to go. But uh, typically, most companies start with the first five or ten homogenous markets, before yes. they decide to scale up. So the whole uh, consumer research part, identifying homogenous segments, choosing whom to target, and choosing your product configuration and pricing becomes a very critical piece of Absolutely. the entire entry, in addition to the kind of work that Intergest does. So I think the two go together. Uh, yes. They're separate, but they go together at the same time. You have to have that. I agree that yeah, yeah. political, economic, social, technological, legal framework understanding absolutely. is absolutely yes. key before yes. you get too far down the road. So yes. a, a couple of questions on that. Uh, intellectual property, is it protected in India? I mean, companies always have concerns going to different markets. You know, if I come in, you know, how strong is the IP protection? IP protection in India is good and is uh, obviously the recognition of IP rights is increasing day by day. So 
uh, you can really rest assured that your brands and your product rights, everything technology will be respected and will be protected. Maybe okay. Ulka may yes. also add. Yeah, you're right. Yes, I was also going to say that we've now even started having IP for food. Uh, and we are linking desserts and certain delicacies to the region that they originated in, and there will be IP rights around those as well. Okay, that's very so similar India's to the European it, Union. Yeah, so India wasn't like this up until a few years ago, but they are getting more and more serious about IP. And that is very linked to the kind of impact that India wants to make on a global stage. Yes. The latest one is the Alfonso Mango has also probably yes. got a geographical index or what do they call it? Uh, I don't, yeah, I, they call it something else, It's, but it's Those are the favorite mangoes in my yeah. household, Alfonso right. Mango. Oh, wonderful. Very, yeah, Good. I've been in the Gulf for a number of years and you know, oh, yeah. I have a mango monster in my house. Yeah, good. We've okay. just had the first mangoes of the season today. Great. Well, hopefully they'll show up here soon. <laughs> yeah, and certainly. certainly. I, it's been a great conversation. I think we've we've learned obviously a lot about uh, India, uh, which is great, uh, Vernak. We've also learned about Intergest and about uh, about you and Ulka. You've provided great insights in the Indian market as well. Sadly, we're all affected by COVID these days, and at the time of our conversation here, India is going through a very troublesome time, which is no different than the rest of the world, but you have a big population. Uh, how has how COVID, not the short-term effects, because we know it's terrible for all humanity, but how do you see this affecting the way ahead and are there opportunities being created with this reshifting of how the world's operating? Yes, uh, of course, COVID has certainly, as you rightly said, affected us and uh, there has been of course a disruption which happened uh, for a short period of time but long term we uh, look at it as a big benefit and i'll uh, put it from two aspects one is from a continuity of business people will have already started working on looking at different sourcing locations so people will move away from being China-centric in sourcing. Sorry to put it as one country, but obviously uh, people have sourced a lot of products over the years from China. Uh, people will start looking at other countries to source from, and India will be a big beneficiary over the years. And I'll add to this also in the sense, uh, see, typically India as you rightly said, uh, one is the cost of manufacturing is low. So it, we have a big advantage which will come out of that. We have a lot of people around capable to manufacture 480 million people or something as a workforce. So ability to manufacture at low costs. And the other thing is respecting IP rights. So when you come to a country like India, all your IP rights are protected. So you manufacture in India for the Indian market. You manufacture in India cost effectively, take your products to the other markets. And so you will be able to create an affordable product. Even in, say, a European market or in UK, typically because 
wheels manufactured at a low cost and in these countries or anywhere around the world while you get affected because of covid people earning will come down they may like to buy good products at affordable prices so probably in the years to come we will see a big benefit interesting interesting and one final question is about is a little question about localization which is after you get into the market uh as i mentioned earlier i'm canadian so in canada you can british english american english we just kind of accept it all in america you use british english uh they they've forgotten the spellings and have their own way so you know are, are quick to point out errors what about in terms of india do you because you are very connected to the india to the american market as well with the outsourcing is it british english you use or american english or does anything anything go i think it's more english english <laughs> Yes. Because okay. we have learned it uh, the bookish way, and so uh, typically uh, it is uh, more the traditional English. Of course, it changes because uh, a lot of the population is now, you can say, mobile. So it does get uh, other influences. Ulka, okay. what's your view on it? Yes, I totally agree with you. And what I want to say is that there is an emerging language which is called Indian English. so the young people are increasingly using that which means that they have their own way of constructing sentences uh they might use certain hindi words while they speak english so it's getting different you know language is dynamic so it evolves yes, so. uh, so that's yeah great so uh th- thank you for your uh time today uh vinayak uh director of interjust uh south asia and for Okathaya who's one of our fractional CMOs uh based in India it's been a very enjoyable conversation uh great to learn more about the Indian market and how interjust can uh help firms succeed uh we look forward to speaking with you again in the in the near future